Welcome to The Breakfast Show. You are listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 on the Faith FM network. And you are joined by Danuta and Lawson. Lawson, it's good to see you made it here through the heavy fog this morning. Oh, man. Easy, easy. Easy for you. Easy to navigate. Yeah, that's right. I just actually, I spent the majority of the drive sitting behind a box truck, just, just, you know, just following that guy. Uh, and then eventually the road opened up. I passed him. It was pretty heavy though. Really? It was, heavy. it was really like, there was some sections. I was like, I can't really see around yes. this corner, you know? <laughs> so it was good. I'm like, oh, this truck probably knows what it's doing. Which yeah. is, which is fine. I mean, if you just look down and you stay within your line, I don't like look down, look down, but <laughs> if you, if you just stay within your lines, which you can see enough forward of then then you're good obviously you need to be pretty vigilant for hazards coming up you know if there's a kangaroo or a stranded car or Mm. something actually in fact i was driving in the middle of newcastle yesterday and i don't know if it was like a foreigner or someone but they had just parked their motorcycle in like it it was a corner it was like a little curb and they just put it there like it wasn't a parking section it was a place where anyone could just Slides, side swipe this thing. Like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's like if there was a roundabout. Yeah. And the, say you're coming up to a roundabout that has like four exits and you take the first one to the left and the person just put their motorbike on the inside of that corner no. on the road. I'm like, are you for real? Like, and I'm, yeah. I'm like looking at it. I'm like, should I, should I get out and like yeah, yeah, pick I'm, it up and I'm put n- it on the thing? And then yeah. I'm like, oh, but, but it'll probably be locked up and it might be alarmed and I don't want it to go off. But I'm like, man, who did who, this? Who would do who, that? Who that would do that's such it. A thing, no, you there know, you just, go. Just crazy road that's stuff. It. You know? But hey, you were saying about kangaroos. So I had another one this morning again too. Oh. Hop, I was driving really slow because he was hopping along on the side of me on the wow. foot path but i just think when we can't see no jesus is our way and if we follow him we can go in the right oh, direction that's, awesome. that's what i thought this morning and the, and the kangaroo didn't you know make a swift turn and jump no, out no i was of waiting you, that he might God. but he didn't hey <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> and coming up on today's show we have john ashton uh, on creation science in mm. our new segments we've actually got archaeological findings from the uk which is fascinating wow. we're also talking about zionism and acts of kindness and in our bible study we're going into ephesians three again and today we're looking at christ dwelling in our hearts you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different yeah lawson we've it's come time for our first quiz question for today second to last day to be able to enter the quiz to go in for the draw Mm -hmm. this week which goes Mm. tomorrow for the holy bible but take it away absolutely thursday is always our penultimate show in which you can get in for the quiz we have a set of questions here our quiz today is actually all about boy kings in the bible so these are you know Exciting. young young men, boys, in fact, who became king. And hey, here is the first question: Those that became king while still children. First up, how many boy kings were there in the Bible? Mm. If you know the answer, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. How many kings became kings while they were boys? And you might be thinking, well, what's that age range for that? <laughs> like, what, what kind of cutoff is there? There but, was one that was really young, like eight years old. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but the Bible specifically says, like, this person became a king when they were a boy. And maybe right. you don't know. No. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're like, I, I don't know how many boy kings there were. It, the answer is a number. It Just is a number. Just start sending numbers Sending in. numbers. And I reckon if Kelvin's actually listening, because he knows numbers so well, he was in the last week talking about numbers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> numbers in the Bible and their meanings. So if Kelvin's listening, he'll probably text him. But yes, text us in. Hey, 
Hey, our number is 0491-064-669. Our prize for this week is an amazing KJV Bible, which we are wanting to give you for free if you win the draw that is going to happen tomorrow. This KJV Bible has Mark Finley's study helps in it. It's just a beautiful, amazing Bible that will yeah. be a blessing to yourself or a blessing to someone else. Again, with those study helps too, it enables you to teach other people the Bible as well with study guides on you know the big questions of the Bible. What happens after you die? What's yeah. going to happen in the future? These kinds of things. Hey, 0491-064-669 is our number. And again, send us a number. If you don't know the answer, just send any kind of number in to 0491-064-669. Again, first up, how many boy kings were there in the Bible? Mm. And if you're not into the King James Version in a huge way, it's actually good to have different versions at home and compare yeah, some things. So mm-hmm. even though there might be the these and thous and the thys, and that's you like to talk with those kind of words, don't oh, you? Oh, so sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. I like to memorize verses in that. Oh, I usually uh, memorize in New King James. Yeah, same. But then or the, NIV for me as or well. Or NIV, yeah. But then at the same time, like, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive oh. glory and honor and power. Like, it just sounds so good. Doesn't it? Just it sounds amazing. Sounds fabulous. Sounds fabulous. Hey, Lawson, each day we're actually, we started this week, we're actually going to different towns or cities and saying welcome to them, yes. to our listeners. Where are we going to today? I want to shout out Murray Bridge, South Australia. Oh, I know which Murray I, Bridge. I knew you would know Murray Bridge. I've been to Murray Bridge before as well down in yep. down in South Australia listening on 88 FM or on the internet wherever they are but yeah shout out South Australia yeah. all the good people down there that's up the freeway from Adelaide so I'm an Adelaide uh-huh. girl Adelaide uh-huh. born girl yeah Murray Bridge is really known also it's got a really nice um, butterfly sanctuary in there really yeah really nice yeah it also has an epic motocross track I've been to a fair few times down in <laughs> down in the old bridge so yeah shout out Murray Bridge if you're from that area zero four nine one zero six four six six nine send us a text let us know how your day's been and what you love about murray bridge as well yeah no that's great that's great hey hey going into some good news absolutely so uh, the exciting thing is that archaeologists uh, archaeologists have actually made some exciting discoveries in exeter cathedral so that's in the uk uh-huh. um it's actually a 900 year old uh cathedral Mm. And they've actually haven't done any excavations, you know, for the last 150 years or something. They've actually putting down, uh, you know, heating, heating under the floor, basically. They're actually trying to conserve the building. So they actually just do things every now and then. And then they're wanting to reduce the cathedral's carbon footprint by actually putting down under floor heating systems. And so for the first time in 150 years, they've actually done excavations under the choir area, now spelled Q-U-I-R-E, mm. which actually means it's actually the area where the clergy and the choir sing. So, mm. you know, like when Queen Elizabeth was, um, you know, buried and we've seen the, the different uh, weddings, royal weddings and things like that, it's that. That that mm. section that is closer to where the the whole event happens of the funeral or mm. the wedding. So where you see the choirs and the clergy being... So it's under those areas that they've actually uncovered it. And here's the fascinating thing. They've un- uncovered an old Norman altar that is being built in the 12th century. Mm-hmm. Now, it's actually an original high altar. It sits under that area, like I mentioned, under the choir, wow. choir where the c- clergy sit. And they've also discovered... So, yeah, so they've discovered this altar, and beyond the altar, they've also found a sunken area where archaeologists believe 
could actually be the uh, crypt or burial sites or tombs uh, that, that were from about 1300 AD. So, mm. you know, the altars from the 12th century and these tombs, you know, wow. 1300 AD as well. And, and also the third thing they've found, this is really interesting, is they found empty tombs cut into the backfill and they found these empty tombs that they believe be- belonged, belonged to, to, prominent bishops Ah, and they believe that the bodies were actually then moved at some point in time under that choir area Mm -hmm. and the bishops that they believe that it belongs to belonged to was William Brewer who died around 1244 but the other one was Robert War War who is believed to have been the nephew of William the Conqueror oh Okay. Okay. So here we're finding some very important really, history. really important in the history. history. Of so for those who may not know, William the Conqueror conquered England in 1066. He was actually a legitimate birth, and he was actually therefore called William the Bastard as well. Mm. But he actually reigned from 1066 to 1087. And so the tomb that has been found, they're believing, or well, this empty tomb, the empty tombs. One of them, they believe, is the nephew of William the conqueror mm. and so they they believe that um, well for the fascinating thing is they actually thought for so many years that this cathedral was did not have any tombs because of course a lot of the old cathedrals uh, that were built in those centuries, you know, the Gothic ones um, in that, that time, actually had crypts, you know, the mm. tombs and that sort of thing. And so it's fascinating that they've actually found this. And, and of course, when we look at the Bible, altars were right back in Exodus, Exodus mm. 27, where God said, let me, he said to Moses when the Israelites were in the wilderness, he said, uh, let them build me a sanctuary so I may dwell among them. And we've talking about the fact a little bit about the church this week in Ephesians. And, of course, the church is the equivalent of the initial sanctuary services mm. that happened back in, in the Old Testament times. Mm. Having said that, though, and, and we spoke the last week also about Elijah when he called down fire onto the altar and things like that. Uh, that's in the Old Testament. But the, the thing is that with the altars... They or the sacrifices were done away with when Jesus came, mm. and so in the New Testament, really, there isn't that altar of sacrifice. Mm. We can actually, and we don't have to go to a priest for forgiveness of sins, oh, wow. but we go directly to mm. Jesus Christ, yeah, don't absolutely. we? Because He's our mediator now, He's the one that that's why when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, mm. and he, he mediates on our behalf to the Father. And I love the fact that. That that is the case. But also I just found it fascinating with this whole altar being found. And also when I was doing some studies quite some time back, um, you know, several years ago, the altars even in the three, four hundred AD, uh, in, in those centuries, basically the altars actually had a lot of pictures depicted on us that on there that actually gave away what the services looked like and who took them. Mm. And interestingly, back then even back then, in three four hundred AD, still and right into the five hundreds, it was actually that they've actually got pictures of women mm-hmm. doing the services as well. So it wasn't just males, which is fascinating. Again, coming back to the, the fact that Jesus is a god of equality, but yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, it's. I think it's really interesting as well that they've been able to find crypts, yeah. with, and tombs with oh. at least something in it because often and what we see a lot of in the middle east is like grave 
robbers and whatnot show yeah. up. And, and you don't know. It's like, oh, they found a tomb in 2003, but grave robbers probably showed up there in the 12th century oh, to steal everything. Yeah, from who there. knows? You know, there's, if it's a tomb from, you know, even earlier. So it's, it's, awesome when they can get into these places and they can actually yeah, find exciting. something so well preserved oh, and so. with such historical significance mm-hmm. as well uh when we see particularly uh yeah the, the relationship to william the conqueror as well probably the most significant date in all of english history yeah. which it was is, a huge turning point for england absolutely you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different here on Faith FM, and we are going to have our next quiz question, which is, what did Queen Athaliah cry out when she realized her reign was over and her grandson Joash was alive and being made king? Was it... Okay, this is multiple choice. Here we go. Was it... Did she cry out? Did she say, a conspiracy? Or did she cry out, God save me? Or did she cry out, treason, treason? Or did she cry out, I am Queen Athaliah? If you know the answer to that one, hey, 0491-064-669. What was it that she cried out? Was it A, a conspiracy, B, God save me, C, treason, treason, or D, I am Queen Athaliah? 0491-064-669 is the number to text. If you know the answer to that one, if you do, you'll go into the draw to win the Holy Bible, a King James version with Mark Finley study helps and all kinds of nicks and knacks and, and all kinds of things that'll help you out. Just, just a fantastic Bible uh, that is really, really well written, well made. Well, that's well, right. well written. I love that. It's it's it's, it's well written. I think written, all well Bibles made. are well written. It's the best. Once like once again, it's the best and the most read book in the world. In the world. And the exciting thing is, so we just want to say that it's a King James version Bible, but the study helps out the back are not written in King James. They are written in easy to read English. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. It even makes sense of the language a little bit. If you're not familiar with the King James, I think it's fantastic to have a King James. James because it is among one of the most word-for-word translations that we have, even if it's in language that is a little bit older. But if anything, that's cool then. It's yeah, really yeah, absolutely. Cool. It makes you dig deeper too absolutely. because you kind of go, how can I understand, understand this? So the question again for us, Lawson? Yeah, it was, what did Queen Athaliah cry out when Joash was chosen to be king over her? It's Was it A, a conspiracy? B, God save me? C, treason, treason? Or D, I... <coughs> Sorry about Bless that. You. I am Queen <laughs> Athaliah, 0491-064-669. Listening to The Breakfast Show this morning, and as you said in the introduction section, mm. Danuta, we are going to talk about uh, Zionism. We are mm. going to talk about some comments that were made recently by a rabbi in the United States. His name is Truly Weiss. And I read this headline, and the headline said, Rabbi urges Christians and Jews to work together. We have more things, uh, more in common than what divides. And I was like, okay, in, I, I saw this headline and I started to think, okay, in what sense is he wanting yeah. Jews and Christians to work together? Is this in the sense of, of charity? Is it in the sense of, you know, community service? Like, like what, what, what is he wanting us to get together in? What, what is the combined cause here? Mm-hmm. Because Jews and Christians do have a lot in common. The biggest difference is the acceptance of Jesus. That being said, I've personally met Messianic Jews, yes. uh, and it's very, very interesting. And I've even I've met Jews who I, I actually I told this story one time uh, on 
the breakfast show. I was flying on a plane from Melbourne to Newcastle and I was sitting next to this Jewish guy and about 20 minutes before the flight ended, I didn't know he was Jewish, but I looked down and he's reading the Hebrew Bible mm. and I had just done a semester of Hebrew. I started a conversation with him. Exciting. I'm like, you're reading the Bible in Hebrew. I think he was reading like, uh, I think it was Psalm 92, something like that. Mm. And we started talking about it and talking about Hebrew and had a great conversation. And he just said to me, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately and, and I don't have a problem with Jesus being the Messiah. Wow. And, and he was telling me that that is a consensus that a lot of Jews are coming to, but aren't mm. voicing because of maybe the fear of their community or their congregation. He's like, yeah, like Jesus was just such a fantastic person and really stood for truth and all these things. And so I'm like, there you go. That's Fascinating, eh? Yeah. Fascinating. So I was asking this question. I saw yeah. this article. Okay, what does he want us to do to work in common? Yeah. And then this is the opening line. Uh, Rabbi Truly Weiss, the founder of Israel 360, believes it's time in the, it's time in the prophetic biblical timeline for Jews and Christians to work together. And when mm. I read this line, I said, oh. Oh, I said, oh, okay. Look, let's see what the Bible says. All right, says. okay, so okay, think, fair enough. So what does he mean about the prophetic time in his so, way? Because I know where my mind's going with some of this too. Yeah, well, <laughs> essentially this person, uh, truly wise, uh, Rabbi, this rabbi, uh, he is a what we would call a Zionist. And what does that mean? What does someone? What does it mean to be a Zionist? Well, it's the essential idea that Bible prophecy contains a narrative within it, in which the temple in Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt, rebuilt. in order for Jesus to come yeah. back. The temple in Jerusalem being rebuilt is a last day event mm. that needs to be fulfilled. Uh, and this is a lot of what has motivated the Jews return to Israel, Mm -hmm. the moving of the capital from Tel Aviv to Mm -hmm. Jerusalem, and even American foreign policy to support the Jews to do so. Mm -hmm. It has been based on largely understanding of Bible prophecy and Zionism, which is just incredible to see that we're seeing it shake out. Literally foreign policy being dictated by an understanding of Bible prophecy. Now he starts to say this and uh, say this is a huge milestone in Bible prophecy. This is something that needs to take place. We need to work together. And I'm reading this and then, and I'm thinking about it. I'm like, okay, fair enough. And then he says, um, it's all over the Bible. So the idea of Zionism, but Isaiah two is my favorite. The second chapter of Isaiah is my favorite passage where it talks about how in the end of days, the mountain of God will stand firm over all other areas. It says all the nations will flow towards and up to Jerusalem. Why? Because from Zion shall come forth the Torah, the instruction, the word of God, and the the word of God from Jerusalem as well. So he's saying, okay, this is what this passage is about. Now, if we open up to Isaiah chapter 2, the Bible says here in verse 2, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Mm-hmm. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so this person has, has sawn a scene Isaiah 2. He said, okay, this is clearly depicting a scene at the end of time in which everyone goes to Jerusalem. And that's what we need to do for Jesus to come back. That, you know, that's where at the end of time, that's what needs to take place. Yeah. But. 
And so, if I can add, in the New Testament, one of the ones that is being used, even though you know they don't go into the New Testament, but but Jews or Messianic Jews um, or other people even of other denominations believe from Romans eleven twenty six, mm. where Paul actually says there, you know, that all Israel will be saved. Yeah. So that's another verse yeah. that that is used by a lot of people, isn't it? But are we talking about? Is this passage getting at a literal return and restoration of Israel? And I would say if you read the rest of the Bible... The Bible, that's it. No. No. Like, no, that's not what it's talking Clear, about. Clear, big no. <laughs> and the reason is because I'm actually going to reference, firstly, a verse that has been coming from our Bible study in the book of Ephesians. Yep. In verse 6, it says, you know, in verse 5, it says, this is the, the message that I've been given to preach to the world. This is Paul. He says yep. that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of oh. his promise in Christ Jesus through that's what we've been unpacking this week. And so yeah. what we see here is that the people of God up until uh, at this point post Jesus is that actually the Jews have rejected their yeah. call to be God's people. Israel is no longer an important land because also the re- the thing that made Israel important is a center in which Jesus would come out of and a mm-hmm. center of sacrifice. There's mm-hmm. no need for sacrifice. If there's no need for sacrifice, mm-hmm. there's no need for a heavenly temple no, either. And it's, like, Absolutely. But then it's like, why? And it's like, oh, and the point he's making is like the law will come out yeah. of the temple, but the law comes from God's word, which you and I have access to. That's it. Furthermore, we see the various references in the Bible, uh, you know, as to the fact that there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles anymore. You know, uh, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there's neither male male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. You then come to Romans chapter, uh, I've got Romans chapter 2 in front of me, Mm -hmm. where it says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is the outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision of that heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And it's like, what qualifies someone to be, and, and Paul is saying this in parent, like in a, in a, you know quotation marks. What? Yeah. How is someone a Jew? Yeah. How is someone a true person of <laughs> yes. God? That God works in their heart. In their heart, and we're going to be touching on that later in our study today. Absolutely. Too. And the other thing with this is, of course. Of course, that you know they're saying it will be in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Why would Jesus come just to one place mm-hmm. when in First Thessalonians four it says every eye will see him? Like it'll be an audible, mm-hmm. it'll be visible. Every eye will see. You know, of course. it'll be personal. So yeah, go take Absolutely. it away. And it continues <laughs> on. We go, and I'm I'm really making. I'm going to all the different writers of the New Testament. We then come to First Peter chapter two. Peter writing, but you talking to all the Gentiles no. and other Christians. Yeah, you're a chosen generation, a oh, royal, royal priesthood, priesthood, a holy nation, nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim Amen. his. Man. praises to him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So oh. what we've seen so far is that there's no distinction between Jew yeah. and Gentile post the cross. Like yes. all people are there together worshiping God. But then is what Isaiah 2 getting at? Oh, well, they're all going to come to yeah. Jerusalem. But I would say absolutely not. Not according to the words of Jesus. When he says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Mm -hmm. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah, I say. (laughs) And what Isaiah 2 is getting at, it, it is end time, apocalyptically prophetic. 
it is taught in symbols, but the symbols being shared here, people going towards Jerusalem to worship. Mm. Jerusalem in that time was the center of true it worship. It was the center of true worship. But exactly. what is going to happen at the end of time, not a change in location, but rather a change in heart, heart. that people in their heart, they'll be worshiping in spirit and truth. They'll come back to Jesus in truth. They'll crack open their Bibles. Yeah. They'll see the law right in front of them. That's it. They'll see the salvation from God right in front of them. This is what we're moving towards. Mm. This is what God is wanting, not to rebuild Jerusalem, but to stand in truth and worship Him with all your heart. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with Danuta and Lawson. Lawson, what's our next quiz question for today? Our next quiz question, it's a fill in the blank, guys. Here you go. Fill in the blank. Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of blank, according to all that he did, and also for the innocent blood that he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. That's Second Kings chapter 24, four, verse 3 and 4. Again, fill in the blank. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, surely at the commandment of the Lord, came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of blank, according to all that he did, and also for the innocent blood that he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Who that's is that re- person? That's a really long one, isn't yeah, it? That's like, right. well, we hope you can remember where the blank was. Yeah, but so been listening really hard. But that's a really important one. We're listening. We're we're looking out for the name of this boy Absolutely. king, which we know that there's multiple of. So hey, if you know who this is, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to text. And if you text that text that number with the correct answer, you go into the draw for our amazing prize this week. The holy Bible zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Listening to the breakfast show and on the line, we've got none other than one of our resident experts in the field of science, John Ashton. John, are you there with us? Ah, uh, yes. Good morning, Lawson. Good morning. Okay, as I understand it, John, we are going to be talking about the most enigmatic creatures that did exist and largely don't exist anymore, and they are the dinosaurs. <laughs> Yes, so um, I noticed like children are just so fascinated with um, dinosaurs. Uh, when children. I take my grandchildren Me. to. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> like, dinosaurs are awesome. Like, they're epic. And That's, so, uh, yes, yeah, so adults are, John. Don't forget. <laughs> don't, don't forget about I, us. We love dinosaurs. I bro. actually had somebody ask me last year, you know, as, as a minister, they asked me whether, there, you know, there are dinosaurs even in the Bible and if they existed. So, yeah, there are adults that are interested in this stuff. Take it away. <laughs> yes, well, we have overwhelming evidence, of course, that uh, the dinosaurs um, were real. We we find, um, you know, uh, thousands of uh, fossils of the uh, dinosaurs um, all around the uh, world. Um, and, of course, a lot are being found in Australia now. Uh, the really big ones um, get a lot of attention, um, but we need to also understand there were lots of uh, little dinosaurs, so dinosaurs that didn't grow very big. And um, we often uh, see, of course, in the evolutionary model that, uh, you know, the dinosaurs uh, uh, <coughs> evolved from, you know, the sort of fish-lizard uh, type uh, scenario and then uh, 
the the birds and and so forth, and then on to the mammals. But I was fascinated when I was in um, Hawaii um, a couple of years ago. I went to a dinosaur display in the museum in Honolulu, and the um, they had a fossil there of a mammal that had just eaten a small dinosaur. Wow. And the uh, remains of the dinosaur, and you could see its skeleton remains had been preserved in the stomach of the the mammal. And um, so this is, uh, yeah, quite quite fascinating. Uh, Of course, the dinosaur remains, especially the big ones, are powerful evidence for uh, a, cat- a catastrophic destruction of these animals, which we know is the, occurred during the flood, because of the fossils of these large animals, or the larger versions of these, as well as the small ones, are found all around the world. Uh, they're all buried, and so to bury and preserve such a large animal, you had to have very rapid uh, deposition of a lot of material. So there's powerful uh, evidence there. The other uh, fascinating thing that I find, of course, the the dinosaurs are promoted in this age, you know, uh, tens of millions of years ago. Well, of course, they're according to the secular literature and their time scale, they uh, became uh, extinct about seventy million years ago, according to their time scale. But one of the fascinating things is that the um, when we carbon-14 date dinosaur remains, and these are publication, these are research that's done both by uh, uh, creation uh, scientists, when they've uh, scientists who believe in creation, young earth, when they date the dinosaurs, and also when secular universities date the science dinosaurs, it seems that the ages all come in around about 25,000 years, according to the carbon-14 time scale. Mm. And, of course, when we correct for that, it actually brings it back to about four or 5,000 years, and mm. I've explained that previously. Mm. But the fascinating thing is that where, whether we date dinosaurs from North or South America or from China or from Europe, they come, it all come in at this same carbon-14 dating. And I think that's, you know, quite fascinating. Um, and again, um, you know, powerful evidence both for the, the biblical account and that, uh, these extinctions all occurred at the, the same time, which fits in with the Bible model. I think the other thing um, is too, of course, are there did uh, dinosaurs coexist with um, with humans, and what happened to them on the ark? Mm. <laughs> and of course, um, we we need to. Uh, I, I guess sometimes we try to uh, explain the flood and uh, the ark and all this sort of thing in in um, sort of using just everyday sort of. Um, physical forces and, and understanding that way. But we, well, I think we need to remember that the flood was a miraculous event mm. in that God brought the animals to the ark, God closed the, the door. Um, it was a supernatural destruction of the earth and there was a particular purpose involved in that. But, um, and of course, we assume that God brought, uh, you know, dinosaurs onto the ark as well. He could have taken little baby ones on, or, you know, juveniles and this sort of thing. 
um, onto the uh, onto the ark. And one of the evidences for this, of course, is um, it, it's fascinating that in the um, then in history around the world we have the the records of dragons. Uh, these large sort of uh, lizard type creatures, um, and uh, I think some of the some of the strongest evidence for this perhaps comes out of of China. In the um, I was reading an article fairly recently that in um, the uh, older Chinese uh, one of the older Chinese dialects, the word the symbols for the um, different uh, for the 12 calendar months that they had, uh, 11 of them are, uh, are animals that we all are familiar with, you know, pig, rabbits, mm-hmm. cows, rats, these sort of things. And the 12th one is a dragon. Mm. Mm. So, uh, so, and there are sort of, you know, the famous stories of St. George and the dragon and, and so forth. Um, and I remember uh, travelling and visiting uh, some um, universities in um, Europe at one stage and, and talking uh, to some of the staff there. And um, most of the European uh, countries, particularly Northern Europe, in Europe had these um, stories of dragons that lived in caves and sort of, uh, you know, sort of attacked the sheep and and this sort of thing, and had to be dealt with. So, mm. um, so it, it, it's quite interesting um, that history. We even have a very fascinating account here in a, in Australia of um, uh, the early, uh, some early uh, sort of uh, scientists. Well, I guess they were called scientists so much back there, but. Um, I'm just trying to think of their name for the people that study uh, the wildlife and so forth. But they were talking to um, uh, Indigenous people in Victoria um, and wanting to know what a, a bunyip was. And uh, one, a very old Indigenous man uh, described a, uh, a bunyip and uh, the fellow uh, drew it. Um, and the, uh, the, the depiction was actually published in the Geelong, one of the Geelong newspapers, um, in around 1840, something like that. And it's actually a very close, uh, uh, depiction of a duck-billed dinosaur. And this is, you know, often fascinated creationists that he was a drawing done back in, um, uh, 18, in the 1840s on the mm. basis of an Indigenous description. That was a very, very close um, you know, a depiction of what of fossils that we've since found. So, um, yes, it's a, it's a fascinating picture. But I think the uh, and the other thing, of course, is the uh, some of the descriptions in the Bible of uh, the you know the behemoth sort of thing with its giant tail and leviathan um, as well. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So, and uh, it's interesting that many of the old maps show, um, you know, the different dolphins and whales, but they show the the sea, uh, the what might be a a, um, a sea serpent or a, a Nichiothorus, mm. um, which are these long-necked uh, water creatures, um, and so again, it could be that. 
Um, you know, in the past they were depicted, but generally we, we wipe out those big animals. Like we, you know, don't have bears and lions roaming around in England anymore, nor probably in the mm. Middle East, you know, and yet David killed a bear and a lion. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the big animals tend to, to, uh, you know, to be, and, and any dangerous animals tend to be wiped out, but we can certainly say the dinosaurs were real. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to be, they were catastrophically wiped out along with, you know, a lot of, uh, well, with all the other animals at, at the time. And we find, we definitely find the fossil remains for them. And I think it's exciting that here in Australia, we're starting now to discover quite a lot of dinosaur remains. And uh, I noticed... Uh, there was one uh, recently found in Queensland, wasn't there, I think? It yeah, was, yeah. That, that's right. A new, um, a new species of dinosaur was discovered and I've, I've been to the big museum just out of Winton there where they have an actual bone uh, preserved. They've coated it with a, with a coating, uh, you know, so that people can actually touch it. So it's not um, a, a sort of a plaster cast or anything. It's the actual bone, uh, you know, and it's uh, about, uh, you know, 1.3 metres long, something like that. Uh, and it was really great to... You know, to touch it. And the thing was that this bone was sticking up out of the ground in the farmer's paddock. Yeah, so it's wow. quite close to the surface there. That's how they found it. They thought, oh, what's this funny round rock? And of course, it was the, the end of the, the bone, the joint, the, the sort of knuckle joint on the thigh bone of this giant, uh, dinosaur. Um, so, um, you know, these are very real. Uh, they're very exciting, mm. uh, creatures, huge variety. So, and yeah, I want to say, John, I was one of those that was sceptical for a number of years, whether they were real or not. <laughs> and only, <clears throat> excuse me, till a few years ago, I really believe, you know, I, I believe that they were. I, and, um, yeah, my husband and I were overseas in the UK, in, in the US. And, uh, yeah, we were just showing, showing the massive footprints in the rock of uh, dinosaur footprints and uh, just, you know, really clearly that, you know, during the flood, you know, they would have been in different areas, but there's an area in the US, I think it's in Texas, if I remember correctly, it was, um, yeah, where, where there's quite a, quite a number of footprints that actually indicate these large animals existed. So, hmm, yes, fascinating. So yes, and the, you can see them at Broome as well. Oh. And, um, yes, on the waterfront um, at Broome, there's a, a dinosaur point where you can walk out and see the dinosaur footprints in the rock. Wow. Um, and there's, uh, I remember, uh, going, uh, underground the mine in Rockhampton years ago and there were the underside, um, uh, footprints in the, in the ceiling, you know, the, uh, the rock. So they're, they're very real evidences, uh, all, all around us that these, uh, these mm. creatures lived around were very amazing creatures. Mm. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Very insightful. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, John. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.